good morning. I want to read you. I want to read you out of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 4 as we start. Paul says in his letter to the Colossians, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. If ever there was a passage that gave us a picture of the the very practical consequences of sin entering the world, you could point at this one. And it has everything to do with the last word of the passage we just read, glory. Because glory, when it originally existed, it it was exclusive to God himself. God Uh, Glory was God, God's and God's alone. But what happened when sin entered the world, things got distorted. And suddenly, human beings, all of us, we began seeking the glory that we thought we deserved over giving God the glory that he deserves. And you know where that happens most often? You want to know the area of our lives that is set up most for us to seek that out? The office. I don't mean the TV show. I mean the office. We all have an office, don't we? It might be manual labor. It might be working with people. It may not even be formally with an organization, but we all have work that that is on our plates and fills up our to-do list to do in this life, don't we? And work is just set up in such a way that the human heart craves and it seeks out has an appetite for glory, doesn't it? Because isn't it true that there's a level of pay, there's a job description, there's a job title that we think if I could just get there, then I'd finally have it. I'd finally have glory. And this isn't just a thing that's exclusive to us. In fact, if you're not even facing that right now, I can promise you it's, it's coming. It's coming because all the way back in Genesis chapter 11, you know what we read about? It's this tower that, that all human beings, they, they looked around and they decided, you know what? We want to make a name for ourselves. And so what they did is they said, let's build a city and then let's build a tower. And instead of using the stones that God has all around us, let's make, let's manufacture brick. And we'll build this tower that'll reach to the heavens. And finally, we will have made a name for ourselves. Finally, we will have glory, the glory we think we deserve. And yet, if you, if you know that account in scripture, how does it end? It ends with people incredibly, incredibly confused. God saw their efforts to make a name for themselves and to build a tower in their own name. So you know what he did? He confused everything. And isn't it true that's how it goes? When, when you think about your work life, when you think about the past or the present, there, there can be some confusion there, can't there? Because inside all of us, there's an appetite for glory that each and every single one of us wants at some level. Now, as much as we, we stare at that, what I love about this passage is it points at an even greater truth. It points at an incredibly powerful and practical reason for us to actually move our trust off of our own work and onto the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. Let me read the end of that verse again. He says, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In other words, the very thing that we want, 
is not accomplished by our own work. It's not even accomplished at work if we're depending on work to do it because to think that would be to ask work to do something for us that it could never possibly live up to or fulfill. And yet Paul says, if you will move trust off of your own doing onto the doing of Jesus Christ, you know what you'll experience? Glory. Glory, when he appears, your life that's hidden with him, associated with him, tied into him, that identity, you will discover, you will have the glory that finally satisfies your soul. And so as this, in this next part of this series, Squirrels, if you haven't figured it out already, we're talking about the squirrel that is work. Because work has the potential to derail all of us, doesn't it? And this is what I love about Colossians chapter 3. In this same chapter, same train of thought, a handful of verses later, Paul talks about our work. Listen to what he says in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. In those two simple sentences, two simple verses, incredibly powerful, have brought up no less than 10 reminders for me, just in my own life. And so as I sat with those over the last few weeks, I thought, you know what? If these reminders are reminders I have needed and I've had to come back to over and over and over, I just want to share them with you this morning. As we chew on these couple of verses, piece by piece, they bring up some reminders that bring us back, not to our own glory, but to the glory that is associated with a life that is hidden, given to, trust in Christ's work at the cross. And so I want to share those with you. And the first, the first reminder, first couple reminders, has everything to do with the first few words of this passage. Look at it again. Whatever you do, whatever you do. Reminder number one, that word whatever, means we are not above any task. We are not above any task. And that's, that's hard for us because we live in a world that the first question we tend to ask each other is, what do you do? And don't we make valuations and measurements based on what somebody does? Absolutely. And yet, when you look at what Paul's saying here, it's whatever. There there is no task we're above. And maybe there's no better picture of it than what our Savior did on our behalf the final night of his life. Where do you see him? You see him at the feet of his disciples. And the two disciples that get named by John, the gospel writer, it's so interesting to me. One would betray Jesus and one would deny Jesus. And we would look at that and go, they didn't deserve that. And yet that's where our Savior was, washing the feet of his disciples. More recently, I was was given a picture of this uh, karate kid. Children of the 80s, anybody? Yes, karate kid. So there's, there's a new show called Cobra Kai that is like a sequel all these years later to Karate Kid. And uh, it just took me back. It took me back to the original Karate Kid. And you remember Daniel LaRusso? He's this young man. He's being bullied. He's being picked on. And he decides the answer is going to be karate. If I could just get that black belt, if I could just learn those moves, these bullies would have no power over me. If I could just win this tournament. And yet he goes to this sensei, Mr. Miyagi. And where does Mr. Miyagi start him? No karate moves. It's wax on, wax off. It's paint the fence, right? 
And Daniel, for all the glory he's got in mind, instead is being brought back to. There is no task that he is above. And that would serve to teach him the things he needed to know. Reminder number two comes out of these same first few words of the passage. Not only are we not above any task, but God is part of every task, every job, every vocation. And that can be hard because for 1,600 years of church history, this is not how this was understood. For 1,600 years of church history, it was thought that the work of God was carried out by holy people, wearing holy robes, reading from a holy book. And that's how it was seen. And I I think that thinking is still prevalent in the worldwide church today. Because what do we do? We invite a friend to church with us. We sit them down. We say, listen. And then we say, pastor, sick them. And yet I have to think as I read about the priesthood of believers, and as I read about what Paul said in Ephesians about equipping and training people for the work of ministry, you know what I realize? That every single person in this room has a pulpit. Every single person. And it may not be on Sunday morning, but it may very well be Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. at a cubicle, on the job site, maybe working with children. Maybe it's, it's, it's in an informal role in an, uh, that's not tied to an organization. But every single one of us, God says, I can use you. I can absolutely use you, and I'm part of all of it. It doesn't necessarily have to be tied to a church. Well, the passage continues, and it brings up a few more reminders. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Reminder number three is all of our giftings and abilities are from him, and they are for him. Every single gifting and ability you and I have. It is from our heavenly father and it is for him. And that's, that's hard to remember because work tends to be get up, go do the same thing day after day after day. We see the same faces day after day after day. There's, there's, it, be, it can become very mundane, can't it? If we look at it through that lens. I was reminded of this when uh, there was an interview with a pastor who did the funeral of a man who was on the original team that brought about the Boeing 747. And his role every single day for 15 years was to work on this switch box that was no bigger than a loaf of bread. And his his, uh, wife said that he would come home every single day and he was usually frustrated and he was angry and he was agitated because something wasn't working right on this switch box. Finally, she said the day the Boeing 747 took off, it was a moment, it was a glorious, glorious day. Now, Can you imagine using your gifting, your wiring, your maybe area of expertise for your glory? I mean, that would be like this man walking around with a switch box saying, look what I did. And you'd think, who cares? (laughs) You're weird. Get away from me. And yet, to see the Boeing 747 take flight, for this man to know, wow, I got to be part of that. That's what Paul's getting at here. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart because it is part of something so much bigger than your life could ever accomplish on your own, ever. Reminder, excuse me, reminder number four, all your heart does not mean all your time. And as surprising as that can sound, we've got this phrase that's developed in our culture, don't we? Workaholic. And what does workaholic really mean? It means we've made an idol out of work. Even if it's difficult, even if it's painful, even if it's hard, we are so prone to making an idol out of our work, aren't we? 
Absolutely. You see it to the left and to the right and even in the mirror. We can do this. And the way it works out is, see, when, when God originally created us, he gave us a relationship with him. He gave us a relationship with other people. And then he gave us a purpose. He gave us work. But when work begins to take up too much of the pie, what suffers? Relationship with people. And more, more importantly, relationship with God. It happens all the time. So all your heart does not mean all your time. It means the right amount of time. And you say, well, what's the right amount of time? And I think this is where God doesn't want to reduce it to a formula for us. He doesn't want to make it just a one and done, set it and forget it. He wants us to go before him constantly and say, Lord, what's the right amount here? At what point do I release the work that you've given me for, some, for, for, what, for a relationship, to, to give energy, to give attention to my relationships with people and with you? Reminder, Number five, autonomy. Autonomy, that thing that we hope work will provide for us, autonomy is found within us, not around us. See, isn't it true that the reason that we tend to get frustrated with jobs is that we're often looking for the job to provide autonomy? And it might be pay, it might be a title, it might be a description, it might be perks, it might be benefits. And Paul would say, listen, regardless of what's going on around you, Inner autonomy, inner freedom was purchased at the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, there is nothing external that your job or anything else could give you that says more about you than what the cross has to say. <clears throat> there's a, uh, there's a, a man named Glenn Parker. He was a, an offensive lineman for the Buffalo Bills. And one day a reporter was asking him, he said, you know, when we get around some quarterbacks, a lot of quarterbacks, and when we get around running backs, and we get around wide receivers and tight ends, they tend to kind of have this attitude, you know? And it's like, if you say one thing wrong or if you ask the wrong question, they're so easily insulted. And yet, when I, when I look at linemen, Glenn, when I look at offensive and defensive linemen, you guys are like the happiest guys out there. And yet, you've got the hardest work because you're in the trenches. You're actually paving the way for the running back who might end up with the MVP award at the end of the season. You are opening a hole for him to run through and get all the glory. And Glenn Parker's response, he said, the reason for that, the reason for that, let me read you his quote, is that there are not a lot of well-paying jobs for 350 and 400 pound men. We're just happy we found one. And I thought, isn't that it? If we could just understand we've been invited into the work of the God of the universe who created everything around us, it would cause me to maybe realize that I don't have to walk around with such self-importance, that somehow everything else and everyone else has to provide the autonomy that my heart wants because God already took care of it. Passage continues. A few more reminders. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Reminder number six is we do not seek to build up our power, but to rest in God's power. And I think maybe nothing would say it better than, yes, there was the clip we watched uh, as part of the intro video, but could we play, could we play that other clip uh, of Office? And once you watch this, you'll and understand. That's why you have an assistant regional manager. Yes, it is. Assistant to the regional manager. Same thing. No, it's not. It's lower. So it's close. 
I wanted to talk to you about the downsizing. There's no downsizing. I, but if there were, I'd be protected as assistant regional manager. Assistant to the regional manager, do yeah. I? Yep. I am now senpai, which is assistant sensei. Assistant to the sensei, that's pretty cool. Assistant sensei. So effective immediately, I am promoting you from assistant to the regional manager to assistant regional manager. Michael. I don't know. I know, I know, I know. So I guess this will just be my office. No, no. Title change only. I'll have Pam send out a memo. No, no. Three-month probationary period. Let's just not tell anybody about this right now. Just a formality. Absolutely, but not really. Hello. I don't believe we've been introduced. Dwight Schrute, Assistant Regional Manager. Andy Bernard, Regional Director in Charge of Sales. So you'll be reporting to me then? Mm, on the contrary. <laughs> My title has manager in it. And I'm a director. Which on a film set is the highest title there is. <laughs> Isn't this what we do? I mean, whether it was this clip or the clip in the beginning, you know, we'll come up with a system of arbitrary things like demerits and strikes and chances that we give people. And it's really all just to power ourselves up. That we're almost waiting for other people to fail on us and disappoint us so that we can somehow feel better. And why? Because we want glory, don't we? Reminder number seven. Reminder number seven is this, that work the Lord's work is a baton that we are handed, that we will one day hand off. And we talked about this a bit last week, that anything God gives me in this life is really a baton. It's a stewardship. It means I, I overlook it, but I'm not the originator of it, and I'm likely not the end point of it. Because there's only one, and it's a trinity. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're at the beginning, they're in the midst of it, they're at the end of it. Our Heavenly Father is the only one who sees work through to its completion. The rest of us, we get to play a part. And so it's a stewardship. You see this throughout Scripture. Remember Moses leading people through the desert? Forty years he gets to hear griping and complaining. They finally get to the edge of the promised land, and God says, Moses, you're not going in. And if you know anything about Moses' story, he had, he had struck a rock because he was frustrated. People were complaining. It's the exact same thing I would do. And the Lord says, you're not going in. And, and I've often thought, how hard was that for you, Moses? And yet, when you read, when you read the account, it's like Moses just steps back. He's like, it's fine. It's not mine. It's not my work. I'm not the one who originated this. I got to be part of it. And now my time's done. I'm handing it off. Where he had David who wanted to finish the temple of the Lord. And he's making all these plans and he's, he's dreaming about what this could look like. And God says, no, no, no. It, one who comes after you gets to finish the temple. Or you take the apostle Paul. He plants church after church after church. And you think, my goodness, this is just, Jesus is, is now carrying out his promise to build the church and that not even the gates of hell would overcome it. And Paul, Paul, you know, you sit here and you think he would be so amazed by seeing how the church has just survived world wars and, and cultural movements and ideologies that have threatened, threatened us on a global scale. And yet here is the church. Here is God being faithful to his promise. 
And you think Paul, Paul would love to see that. Yeah, Paul, his life is cut short in the first century under the reign of Emperor Nero because you know what Paul understood? That God's work, God's work is a baton that we are handed. He asks us to carry it well and then hand it off. Reminder, number eight. We are not called to responsibility in one area that would necessitate irresponsibility in another area. Maybe a better way to say it is a quote that I remember I've never let go of. Somebody said, Nathan, if succeeding in work means overlooking, overrunning, and overwhelming your family, then you've failed in work. In other words, our primary ministry has to do with those that God has put us closest to. And it might be a family within the walls of our home or neighbors around us or coworkers that we work most closely with. But again, it's a stewardship. And, and responsibility in one area cannot lead to irresponsibility in another. Finally, Paul wraps up the passage here. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Reminder number nine, doing does not inform our being. Our being informs our doing. And that sounds great, but that's hard, isn't it? Because when you ask the question or when somebody asks you the question, what do you do? Isn't it true that something at the heart level wants to express glory? And when we want to come up with something that'll wow somebody or make a name for ourselves. And yet, Paul says, if you have died and your life has been hidden in Christ, if you've given your trust and your faith over to Jesus, then your being informs all you're doing. I was reminded of this as I reflected. My first paycheck ever was for vacuuming this foyer right here, scrubbing these toilets in these bathrooms. And I remember, as I think back on those days, I don't remember, there might have been, but I don't remember misery during those days because it was an opportunity to serve other people, to get to work and do something here in the church. And you know what that wells up out of? The reminder that our being, established at the cross, informs our doing. That's when you become free of job titles, and job descriptions, and all the different things that we think give us glory. The tenth reminder is actually has everything to do with the context of this passage. Because what I love about this, just a couple, couple verses before this, Paul, he's addressing the family, and then he shifts over to slaves. In this passage about our work, he, he addresses slaves. Now, slavery in those days, it, it didn't look like the slavery that we associate with oftentimes, like in the Civil War era. The slavery in biblical times, uh, it, it valued human dignity more than the slavery that many of us learned about in school. But nonetheless, Paul makes his thoughts clear on slavery elsewhere. This is not right. But I love that he stops, and in the middle of it, he acknowledges that, you know, the, the institution of slavery is not right. But slaves, while you're in it, you can actually be used by God to show your human masters the glory of God. And as I sat with all this, I just was reminded of a very painful yet 
I was reminded of bad news if if you stop at the first half of it and great news if you carry it through. That work is a place where we are stripped of our glory in order to be positioned for God's glory. Work is a place we are stripped of our glory in order to be positioned for his much greater glory. And when that moves from head to heart, you know what happens? You go, wow. Why would I want anything outside of a life hidden in Christ? Because that's a greater glory than anything all my efforts could ever accomplish. As the worship team comes back up, one, one story. Uh, I, I have yet to meet anybody that I've come across that knows who a man named Dickie Simpkins is. Dickie Simpkins was a man who reported to work every single day and gave his absolute best. And he did this Every day, every single day of the week, and yet when it came time for him to, for, for somebody to be chosen to carry out the main work, Dickie Simpkins was never selected. See, Dickie Simpkins was a member of the Chicago Bulls NBA basketball team in 1996, 1997, and 1998. And Dickie Simpkins, in that three years with the Chicago Bulls, played a grand total of two minutes in a playoff game. Two minutes. And you want to know why? Because Dickie Simpkins had some teammates named Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr, and a host of others that just, they were just chosen in front of him. By the world standards, they were better at basketball than him. And yet, at the end of that three years, here's what I love about Dickie Simpkins' story. Do you know what Dickie Simpkins had at the end of that three years? Three championship rings. Because the Chicago Bulls won three straight championships after Michael Jordan came out of retirement. Dickie Simpkins had glory that he really, many would say he didn't earn. And maybe that's the point. Think of it, that your heavenly father, one day when you stand before him, would look at you and he would look at me and he would say, you have glory because of the work of somebody else at the cross. Let me pray and we'll close in a song. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who you look upon us and even though sin got into the world and it got into our hearts, you chose to redeem it. And not just redeem it, but that meant something. It meant you wanted to use us in your greater work throughout the world, throughout time. And so we come before you reminded of Paul's words in his letter to the Colossians that the ultimate glory we could have is not anything we could spend our lives trying to accomplish, but it's to have our lives hidden in Christ. And so I pray for those who have thought about it, who haven't taken that step, that this may be the moment that you nudge them to, to place their trust and have their lives hidden in Christ. I ask that now, move them to a conversation with somebody in this room or one of us here on staff that they would know you and know your incredible glory. In Jesus' name, amen.